hear the beat, you know what time it is. It is time for another episode of the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast, brought to you in part by the Michigan Sports and Entertainment Podcast Network. Thank you, everybody, for joining me. It feels good to be on a little roll here where we have consecutive shows after week after week. People can rely on it. Uh, And so we have a lot to go over today that I wanted to touch on. I have one major big topic, and it's something I think is very important uh, for us Notre Dame fans to know the numbers on and keep in mind as we uh, approach this upcoming football season. They're really important numbers. They tell a lot of the numbers are very, very telling. So we're going to we're going to go over that uh, and then I'm going to go over looking at these numbers how I think we can try and overcome them or what we can do to um, not fall victim to some of these numbers because a couple of them are a little scary. So that's going to be the big topic. And then we have a lot of other things I want to spray to all fields early on in this episode just to talk on a couple different things that have popped up that are in, in my mind and on my mind. So that being said, let's get the propers out of the way. Obviously, you can find me always Irish on YouTube. Uh, on Twitter, type in Always Irish or at JKZND4. You could find me there. I will not forget to mention that this show is on Facebook now. I have been uploading uh, these videos to the Always Irish Notre Dame football uh, page on Facebook. I will continue to do so. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. And then here's the other thing that I did want to mention. I believe we are up and running and fully searchable on Stitcher now and on Google Play now. I have been approved by iTunes, but then it takes a handful of days for them to index your show, which I think means knowing what category to put you in so people could find you. And that when they search in iTunes, Notre Dame football podcast, like all the back end stuff, search engine stuff that I don't understand. So I'm approved on iTunes, and if you type in Always Irish, I'll come up. But if you just type in Notre Dame Football Show, I'm not going to show up on that yet while I'm waiting to be indexed, which should be done any day now. So what I'm going to do is once I'm up and officially up and running on all of these, I'm going to put the links together and then put them on Twitter and on the YouTube channel so that people can find them and you go through it that way if they want to do that instead of the regular YouTube. So I'm going to wait till the iTunes thing's uh, totally done and then I will update everybody with the links for everything. I hope this grows the audience. I hope this brings more people in. I hope it reaches more people. Um, The one thing that I, I would ask I don't like asking things of people. I'm not a big, I don't like owing people. I don't, I don't like being an inconvenience to people. I don't, just in life in general, I don't like asking for things. Um, but I am going to ask, once we're up and running on iTunes, anybody who does have an iTunes account and you do like the show, if you could go there and rate the show and put a comment about the show, I would really, really appreciate it. Um that's kind of how you make it in iTunes is having enough people say your show's cool and give you good a good rating on the stars that you move up in the search uh, the search engine for iTunes. That's how more people find the show. So if if you don't mind going and looking for it and writing something nice or saying you like the show, I would appreciate it to help us grow and then that enables me to offer you guys more content. So feel free to do that whenever. 
Um, and so I think we're good to go on the propers. I, I let's just I hate those. I, I, it's just it's awkward getting up there rattling all this stuff off. I don't like it. I like to give you guys more content. So let's get into it. So here's the first thing, and this is uh, this is a recruiting topic. Uh, the the all world running back that everybody wants, Chris Tyree, is going to announce later this upcoming week. I'm recording on a Sunday. Uh, it's going to be later this week. He's going to announce. I have been. People have been tweeting me a lot of different things, some with information from people I trust. So some of the tweets, I'm direct messages I'm getting are that. Other people are just asking me if I'm hearing anything and would I cover it and was I planning on covering that topic in this episode. So here's here's where what I'm going to say. From everything I've heard the last few days, the last handful of days from the people I trust that give me this information, uh, it's that it's going to be a Notre Dame commitment. Uh, I've even had multiple, probably a handful of people that I do trust in the know uh, that have come to me and said so much so far as they've been indicated that he's already a silent commit to Notre Dame. And that Notre Dame is turning down other kids that are interested because they've already kind of given this spot to, to this kid. Okay. So I've been told that a lot. Then this morning I hear that Oklahoma may be back in it. So like the last handful of days, that's all I heard was Notre Dame, Notre Dame, so much so that he's already a silent commit. And then you have an Oklahoma writer doing the crystal ball pick for Oklahoma this morning. So, or last night or whenever it was this weekend. So, so uh, what do I make of all this? It's recruiting. It's the Wild West. I make, I, you cannot trust anything with recruiting until there's a signature on that fax, if they still even do the fax machine thing, okay? Um, the way it is now, maybe kids commit via Instagram, okay? I don't understand, but you get my point, is I never count on anything till the, till the paper's signed, even with a verbal commit, I don't count on anything till the paper sign. A lot of things can change. A lot of people getting kids' ears, kids' families' ears. Okay, so even with a verbal commitment, I don't trust anything till the paper signed. That being said, I've aside from the weird Oklahoma stuff that popped up today, which is in total contrast to everything I've been told by multiple people on the Notre Dame side. I truly don't know what to think. I mean, I guess I will lean towards the Notre Dame people that I've worked with before, networked with, trust their opinion, trust their judgment, trust their information. If you want to lean on that, then then it looks good for Notre Dame with a kid that everybody in the country wants, with a kid that's a, ch a game changer, a game wrecker, a home run hitter, a kid that is the kind of talent Notre Dame's going to need to land three or four or five more of, uh, a couple on each side of the ball if they want to get to the Notre Dame, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia talent level. Okay, that's just what we're going to have to do. So this is a would be a terrific, this, see, I don't want to get out of myself and say this is. If this ends up being uh, what we hope it is, and he commits to Notre Dame, this is the kind of kid we need more of. We always talk about how does Notre Dame break that glass ceiling and get from in the the pretty good, very good, damn good area to crashing the ceiling to be in that elite group. 
How do they do it? Well, one of them is you have to actually uh, compete or win one of these games against one of these teams. Yeah, I know that's a crazy thought. Uh, oh, I get asked all the time, well, what does Notre Dame have to do? You know, what does it look like? Well, you could, that's the big one. What does it look like if Notre Dame turned that corner? I know they actually win a game against one of these teams. That would be nice, wouldn't it? To actually win one of these games. But look what happened last time you played Alabama. Look what happened last time you played Ohio State. Okay, look what happened when you played Clemson. Even the last time you played Oklahoma was pretty ugly. I know that was many years ago and largely irrelevant, but you get my point here. In fact, the only one of those teams that you're even close to, ironically, historically, is Georgia. And well, 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 don't you just have a nice opportunity in September to play Georgia? But that's the only team that's in the group I mentioned that you even competed with last time. At least, I mean, that game was close in South Bend when we played Georgia. Both teams look vastly different. I know that. But I'm just saying, we weren't even close to any of the other teams. I mean, yeah, we beat Oklahoma at Oklahoma in 12, but then when they came to our place, they beat they beat our asses. That game was over by the end of the first quarter. And then Michigan, it's like, oh, well, what about Michigan? I don't count Michigan in that elite group. What have they ever won? Why would anybody count them in an elite group? They've never won anything. So no, they'd, oh, John, what about beating Michigan? Uh, fine, we beat them and it's damn good to beat them, but I'm not saying that they're in that group. They haven't earned that. Just like Notre Dame hasn't earned it. They haven't earned it. Despite me seeing them in the top 10 and five of most of all these uh, preseason ranking predictions, you got to explain it to me. I don't understand it. Other than for clicks and ratings and hype, I don't understand that. What has Michigan done? Nothing. What has Harbaugh ever won in college? Nothing. Jim Harbaugh has never so much as won a divisional title in college. But everybody acts like he's a god. I, I just don't understand it. He's never won anything. When you are in the Big Ten and you play a Big Ten schedule and you're Michigan, by talent alone, nine to ten wins are built into your season. Just based on pure talent rolling out on the field, nine to ten wins are built into that schedule as long as you're not an idiot. What do you do with the other two to three games? If you're Harbaugh, you lose them. So I, I don't understand all the defensive talent they lost and how they're ranked, going to be ranked in the top two. I do not understand it. I truly don't get it. So, yeah, it's always nice to beat them. They're my number one hated team. Everybody knows that. But that's why I'm not talking about them because they're not in that elite group. They have not earned it. They have not earned it. And so here's here's the I, I got off the tracks there, but here's the the thing about the Tyree. Uh, if he if he commits to Notre Dame, here's here's what could happen. Who's ask yourself this? You're Tyree that in in a lot of uh, a lot of recruiting databases, the number one overall running back recruit in the entire country. 
every good program, top program in the country wanted him, okay? If Notre Dame somehow landed a kid like that, it it could make people open their eyes. It could surprise some people. And they could start saying, damn, you know, look, Notre Dame's upped it and they're getting that kind of kid now. You know, kind of make people perk up when they hear Notre Dame, when, they, when they're linked to a kid with this kind of elite talent. Here's the other thing that you need to consider. If you're Tyree and you're the top running back, you're getting all this attention, uh, you're playing in all these camps and doing all the other recruiting stuff, the hype machine stuff, who do you think he's around all the time? Other good players. That's who his friends are because they're those guys that end up being wanted by everybody end up in those camps together. They end up getting their names bunched together because they're the elite of the elite. Everybody's going after them. So whenever they have those recruiting camps, seven on sevens, all that kind of hype machine stuff that goes along with recruiting now, he's there with all these other good players. You don't think that could help Notre Dame potentially? To have a guy like this commit and you don't think he has any pull with the other guys or it can't hurt. Let's put it that way. It can't hurt to have the number one kid at a, at a position like running back commit to Notre Dame. It can't hurt you in recruiting and it might help. So that's another thing you got to consider. This kid's buddies with all these other elite players because they're all together all the time. Can't hurt, could help. And, and so that brings me to, this discussion brings me to, so I got to ask a question here because I'm seeing something out there. By out there, I mean things on Twitter written by people. I mean, uh, when some of these Notre Dame writers do like a, type in a question from a reader and then they answer it either in print or in a podcast. I've seen this question asked a handful of times. Uh, I've seen this topic being debated on other shows. Um, and so if it was once or twice that I I saw this, I wouldn't mention it. But the fact that it's been like 10 different places now, it I have to ask the question of one is how and two is why This is this question being asked. But here it is. Tell me if you've seen Maybe I'm looking at weird places. But I've seen this 10 different places. The question is, the question is always phrased like this. It seems like Notre Dame's closing the gap on Clemson and Alabama. Do you agree with that? I've seen that question asked all over. Maybe it varies a little bit in how it's delivered, but that's the gist. The gist is getting at the idea that whomever is asking the question is coming from a position where they feel like Notre Dame is gaining ground on these top programs and they want reaffirmation of that. That's always how the question's phrased. And here's my question. Why would anybody ask that? It's not just one person. I've seen it 10 different times and then talked about and written about at length. Like what, what is, what would make somebody ask that question? What has happened that could possibly make you say, I feel like we're catching up to these guys. Don't you agree? Why? Why? What has happened that makes you think that? 
even if Notre Dame gets Tyree and McGregor or something like that? I still think that would be a stupid question to ask. And this is before Tyree's commitment date where we don't know if we're going to get him or not. We're hoping we do. So it's not like I could kind of understand it. Maybe if like we had a flurry of all these top recruits and then somebody wants to ask and that's kind of their basis because they're riding the high of being a fan whose team gets a great free agent, which is basically what recruiting is. Then I could, it would still be ill-advised and ill-informed, but I could at least understand why we would be getting the question. But what would make these people ask this now? What has happened? The last time we played each of those two teams, we got annihilated. So what has changed? Why would people ask that? Aside from even just take out the fact that we lost all the best players in our defense and people are still asking that. How in their minds is that gaining ground to lose every of the best players on your defense? Or at least most of them. I guess Kareem and Aquara and, and uh, Aloe are still there. But I mean, you, come on. You get what I'm saying. You lose Tiller. You lose your two linebackers and captains and Julian Love. Come on. And people are saying that we, we caught up ground on Clemson and Alabama. How? What are you seeing that makes you say that other than blind hope? Results on the field certainly don't tell you that. Got killed by both those teams last time we played them. Throw Ohio State in the mix too. Same thing with them. So I don't understand this. What could make you say that and ask that question? It's not information. It's not facts. And so then the, the answer you're going to get is, well, I feel even John, you, they, somebody could say to me, John, you said that, yeah, this is a great way to phrase it. Somebody could say to me, well, John, in the last show, you said that you felt like Notre Dame was starting to recruit at a slightly higher level. Like the ceiling, you know, the, the basement is higher with this group of kids than, than in previous years of recruiting. We're going after and getting interest from a higher level of kid. That's why we're catching up, John. My answer to you is clearly you don't do any research and you're lazy. Because here's the problem with that theory. You're only looking at Notre Dame against itself. You have to look at Notre Dame versus everybody else. And I got news for you. Yeah, Notre Dame has ramped up their recruiting. You know who else has? Clemson. And they were already better than you. By a lot. By a lot. So that presents a problem to your narrative. You can't just look at Notre Dame and say, well, Notre Dame's doing better than itself. We don't play ourselves on Saturdays. So you have to look at how you're doing compared to those other teams. And it's like, well, John, you just said we might be getting the number one running back in the country. Isn't that, doesn't that count for something? Yeah, it counts for something. If you're paying attention to what Clemson's doing, they're putting together maybe the single best recruiting class of all time since like the five stars era where there was websites that track all this stuff to this degree and this many of them to bounce the information off of to average it all out if there's differences in opinion. But if you consult what Clemson has going right now, they're in position to maybe have six or seven 
of the number one ranked prospects at their given position in this recruiting class. And you want me to say we're catching up because we might have one? Doesn't work that way. It's all proportional. If we get a lot better at it and Clemson gets a lot better at it and they just beat us 30-3, to you didn't gain ground on them. You gain ground on yourself, which is just something you have to do to put yourself in position to compete. But you didn't gain, gain ground on them. They were already ahead of you and they're getting better. So you got to do even more, right? It's tricky, but that's, I just can't understand why I've been seeing that, hearing that and reading that makes no sense to me. There's no information. There's no reason for you to think that. I don't know why you would. And it's lazy. Do some research. Winning those games is the only true way to prove that you're gaining ground on these teams. It ain't to come close. It's not to get a handful of good recruits, although that helps. You have to win some of these games. That is another reason why I keep saying the Georgia game, you cannot overstate how important this game is. You cannot. Those of you that have been with this channel for a long time, you know all I was saying about the Clemson matchup was this is your chance to prove you're not overrated, you're getting somewhere you don't belong, uh, you know, you can't compete with those top teams, like all those narratives and reasons to keep us out of the playoff. That's why I said even if you don't win Clemson, it has to be close, like a 7-10 to 10 point game. So you can at least prove you did belong and you could compete. What happened? absolute blowout and you add fuel to that fire and give you've given more people a reason to doubt you and say you don't belong and it's our fault because we didn't perform again on the big stage again okay so so oh what when's your next big chance to prove something you're going to athens you're going to georgia you cannot overstate what a big game this is just for narrative to try and change the perception around the program to try and actually make the playoff. I think you're going to have to win this game. But just to break through that glass ceiling, Georgia's going to be ranked probably three when we go down there and play them. It's a big SEC opponent. All you have crammed down your face is how superior the SEC talent is and that Notre Dame could never belong in that environment. They wouldn't be able to compete. Okay, you're playing against that. I can't be the only one who hasn't forgotten the Georgia players running their mouth about Notre Dame when they were playing Clemson and how we didn't belong and how much better they could have done against them than we than we were. And then they go out and lose their bowl game in humiliating fashion against Texas and play like shit. Game look, the score looked a lot closer than the game was, let me tell you that. They didn't show up. Why? Because they were too busy about the game they weren't playing in that Notre Dame was playing in. And they boxed it in and said, they packed it in and said, we're not here to play this game. Okay, it's the, it's the SEC, the big bad SEC. It's a night game. Gonna, you know it's going to be the game of the week. This is your next chance. You can't keep failing every time you're given a chance against one of these top teams. You cannot keep failing. 
One of these years, one of these times, just once, you got to win one of these games to make people at least think about giving you some respect. But you have to earn it. You don't just get it because of that interlocking logo. You have to earn it. Not by being close, by winning something. Win a big game. And this is a big game as far as where your Notre Dame fan bar of expectations should go. This game's going to tell you so much. Because here's what I don't know. There's a lot of knowns and a lot of unknowns on this squad and this roster right now with the turnover we've had. And here's what I just don't know. I don't know to what extent yet we are reloading or rebuilding. That's what I don't know. That's the question I need an answer to. And I don't think you're going to get a true gauge of that answer until Georgia. I don't think you're going to get it the first two weeks. And if we need to get it the first two weeks, something's gone horribly, horribly wrong. If we have to prove how deep and good we are, you know, 100% against Louisville and New Mexico, then you got problems. Forget about Georgia then. If either one of those games is close, forget about Georgia. We should be past that. You have to be past that. And, and so that's the big question. And, and that's what I'm looking to Georgia for to, to indicate to me against high-level athletic uh, skill competition just how much of this project is a reload versus how much of it is a rebuild. And then we're going to have to maybe adjust our expectations. I don't know. I'm hoping it, it goes okay, but you're not going to know till then. But you get ran out of the building and, and you're getting to the point where these committee people, even when Notre Dame's going to be in a position to get a playoff spot, there's going to be so much evidence they don't belong and can't play there. Don't tell me at some point somebody isn't going to use all the, that resume of bad and non-competitive games on the big stage against us in that meeting room. It's going to happen. Got to play better in these games if you're ever going to make any moves. And then here's the other here's the other thing that goes along with this. And I could do an entire hour-long show and probably will at some point this summer because why the hell not? It's all summer. You got to find something to talk about, right? But when, when we're having this discussion then, and it's like, okay, I admit, Notre, it seems like Notre Dame's recruiting at a higher level, getting higher level interest kids, okay? Um, the 2020 class has a chance to be very, very good and uh, elite good almost in terms of the raw talent being brought in. Top five good, okay? Maybe, maybe. Um, still some certain positions I would like to see better recruited. Cornerbacks, one of them, offensive lines, another one in this particular cycle, but there is going to be some big talent, big time talent gets. Okay. So if I'm going to take the position of, yeah, we're getting better, but, and upping our recruiting game, but so is Clemson and they were already ahead of us. So then how do we bridge that gap? If we're going to get there, then I have a few thoughts on how you're going to have to bridge that gap. Okay. So, so let's run with this because I do want to give Notre Dame fans hope. The, the, I don't want it to seem, listen, the, the program after the burn down in 2016 and the, 
flip-flop where we started everything new and cleaned house and did a lot of that bigger picture stuff. It's all in a better position than it was. I fully admit that. And, and so I want to give people hope. And so I do see a way you could try and bridge this gap. Okay. I, I see maybe four, four things. Uh, and so let's just say we're recruiting a higher level. Clemson's recruiting a higher level. How can you catch up to them or enough to at least beat them once if you play them in two years at Notre Dame Stadium when Lawrence will be ready to go pro? Okay, that's going to be a big matchup I'm already looking forward to. And so four different things kind of have to happen. The fourth one we have to have a conversation about, okay? But how do we bridge this gap then and compete with those teams where they're just going to have more talent they can recruit in ways and take more kids and offer more kids than Notre Dame can. The academics are tough. You know all the reasons it's hard to recruit top-end talent in Notre Dame. So that being said, what do you need? You need a year where injuries work out for you, where you don't have any major players uh, at thin depth positions that get hurt. I'm talking about losing the captain of your offensive line like we did last year early in the season. Okay, I I'm talking something like that. I'm talking about... Losing Bosa if you're Ohio State. I'm talking about big-time guys like that. So you need to have a good year with injuries, obviously. You need to have good luck bounces. Both with, I mean, good luck with both like bounces and plays at the game that are 50-50, could go either way, and that make or break a game for you. They got to go your way. Think of 2012 Pitt where the guy misses the field goal, right? Like something like that. Think of 2012 stand for the goal line stand. Those plays where it comes down to inches either way and they fall your way. Notre Dame's got to have that type of season because their margin for error just isn't as big as other teams who can lose a game, still win their conference and be in, you know, all that kind of stuff. Have easier schedules with uh, junior varsity, high school teams on them, that kind of thing. So you're going to need good bounces, literally in games, but you're also going to need some good luck in terms of maybe like looking at the schedule and two to three teams aren't, they're maybe good brand names, but they're not as good when you play them as they looked on paper before the season. Think of like going to Virginia Tech last year, how much harder that game would have been if they were actually any good. Turns out the best thing they had going for them was a lot of rock and roll music. Okay. So you're going to need some of that where the schedule ends up being manageable. And even if there's a lot of travel, like there always is with the Notre Dame schedule, it's not too daunting and you could run through it. The other thing you need are some roster surprises. You need to get some high level production out of kids you weren't necessarily counting on. Some kid that just matures and shows up and starts playing great. Um, you know, just you got to have some people step up that you weren't necessarily counting on doing so that wrapped. And then you need all the guys you were expecting to do so to also do it. So then that gives you more depth and more options. So you need to be pleasantly surprised with your roster development. And then here's the fourth thing and probably the one that worries me the most. A lot of these other ones you, you don't have that much control over. They just have to kind of break your way in a good year that puts you in this position. But here's the one that I do think you have the most control over. And it's also one that I, I've had a huge problem with, with Brian Kelly. So if you're looking at a situation where I need to get us over the hump where another team has more talent than we do, just raw talent in the cupboard, 
How do we do that? Ask Lou Holtz how you do it. Motivation. Getting the most out of everything you got. Making the sum greater than the total of the individual parts. You got to motivate your guys so they play their best game on the biggest night. That's what you need. That is why Lou Holtz was a good coach. Lou Holtz was a master motivator. He knew what his teams needed. He knew if they needed to be brought down a peg. He knew if they were overconfident. He knew when to ramp them up more. He knew how to motivate. Lou was a master motivator. I don't trust Brian Kelly in this regard. I just don't. I haven't seen enough high-end results to trust that he could get the most out of his teams. And you know what's upsetting about that? That even goes for the good teams. Like some teams are just doomed. Like, what was it? 2013, for one of them years, we had a ton of injuries. Everybody was banged up. There's not much you could do. And you lose a handful of games. What do you, I mean, what are you going to motivate for? I'm talking about the high-end years. Still not able to get our best game in 2012 against Alabama. Still not able to play good against Clemson, right? Against Ohio State in that bowl game. So yeah, some of that is matching up against better rosters. You have to find a way to equalize that. And motivation is how. And I don't think Brian Kelly's done a good enough job of that at the highest level to where I could trust him to emotionally prepare our guys for Georgia. I really wish they would let me emotionally prepare our guys for Georgia. I don't think this game could be built up enough. It needs to be built up as everything because it is not just for this season, but for long-term perspective. You're blowing your chances. You can't lose horribly against every single elite team you play and then wonder why people don't give you any credit or benefit of the doubt. That's why. And I don't want to hear about playing them close. You have to win one of these games. That's like finishing second for Tyree if we do. You don't get credit for that. You lost. You failed. Instead of the kid making plays for you, he's going to do it against you. You lost. There is no moral victory in that. There's nothing gained from putting all that time and effort and resources into recruiting a kid. You don't get him. You gained nothing. It's a failure. There are no second place trophies in, in recruiting or football games. There's a winner and a loser. So I just, I, I don't think you could build this up too much. And too many times Brian Kelly comes in with this, uh, we're just going to punch in, punch out, go to work and do our thing. I hate that. I hate that. Why are you trying to take the emotions out of college football? The emotions are why people love college football, both the fans and the players. Too many times I feel like he neuters our guys and cuts off their emotion instead of trying to pour gasoline on the fire and fire the guys up more. 
I know Lou Holtz is a tough motivational bar to climb. I don't need him to be better than Lou Holtz at this. I just need him to be better than what he's been at this. And if you want to tell me, well, Johnny's tried to change that over the years, fine. But I need consistency. That's the other problem. You can't, like the last few years before uh, leading up to 16's nightmare and after, I felt like Kelly was flip-flopping. Is he a player's coach? Is he a yelly coach? Does he want to, when he was dancing on the sideline with the players, you knew that wasn't him and he wasn't comfortable doing it. He just did it because he caved into the pressure that people telling him that's what you got to be now. And so him flip-flopping his own personality and coaching style is this undercurrent of instability that I have a hard time with. But I always cringe when Brian Kelly, well, we need to punch in and punch out and do our job. Talking about these big rivalry games, that's not the right way to do it. Being able to properly motivate our guys, that's how you make up that gap between that and execution is how you make up the gap in talent. Executing more efficiently and playing with that emotion that makes you feel like if you lose the game, you're, you're seasoned over. Now, you can't do that every week, and I'm not asking for that because if you did it every week, it would have no meaning anymore. You would get numb to it. You can't get up for every single game the same way. Like, there's just no emotional way that you can compare playing Michigan to playing New Mexico. There's just, you can't fake the difference in emotions there. I understand that. But for these big games, it needs to be more than just punching in and doing the, day, the day's work. I want our kids motivated, bouncing off the wall, ready to go. Excited about the opportunity to go into Athens and prove something. Prove something that the SEC isn't just the end-all, be-all, and you have no business even playing in a game like this. Okay? So motivation has a lot to do with this. You think of the 88 Miami tunnel fight and the famous, uh, you know, they get in a fight in the tunnel. And I know Rocket Ismail said he was in the locker room. They separated all the players from each other. And Rocket says he was in the locker room and he was nervous as hell that Lou was going to come in there after talking to the police and the refs and everybody that was breaking up that fight and start saying, we heard you were involved, you're out of here, you're not playing, you're not playing. Okay, and this was before the biggest game of the season against Miami, full of nothing but thug trash. Okay, and, and Lou Holtz came in there and the most perfect Lou Holtz thing ever, all 120 pounds, pipe-smoking Lou Holtz, all he said was, fellas, leave Jimmy Johnson's ass for me. That's all he needed to do. And then they knew they were going to play good. The place was rocking. People were tearing stuff off the walls. They were ready to play. Okay? You, Brian Kelly needs to find a way to bring out more emotion in these guys. And maybe it's as simple as getting the hell out of the way. Maybe these guys do have that. He just needs to let it happen and not try and tone it down. Maybe let some of the vocal leaders on this team bring that out and the other guys and you kind of, you know, there's different ways you can approach this as a coach, but it's important. 
And it's one of the ways I think you could you could sneak. Here's the other. Here's the thing, guys. Is this sustainable that you could operate at that level to be better than Georgia and Clemson in all these weeks? No, I just said you can't have that emotion all the time. You only need to play better than them one time. You don't play them every week where you have to keep it up. You just have to show up, get some good breaks, play your best and be motivated and just be one point better than them that day. You don't have to be better than them the whole year, and you probably won't be when you're looking at a natural talent deficiency and drop-off that there would be between you and Clemson, you and Georgia, you and Alabama, you and Ohio State. Those are the big ones that come to my mind. Offensively, maybe Oklahoma, but their defense is so bad I can't put them there yet. And so I... I need more of that from Brian Kelly, and I need it to be a consistent message. That's the problem. Like, if you want to tell me he's done a better job lately of being more the way I want him to be, fine. But he's flip-flopped so many times that I roll my eyes at it and wonder who the real Brian Kelly is. And there's got to be players who do, too. And it's like, buddy, three years ago you weren't acting like this. What changed? Like, you know what I mean? And so I, I just need to see more of it. Not that you can't be punching in and out the clock to do our job when you're going to Athens. That needs to be an emotional affair. Same thing with going to the big house. That needs to be something that's emotional to everybody involved. That needs to hit close to home. It needs to mean more. It should mean more. God, if your blood isn't boiling to go in the big house and play Michigan... You might be dead. So that's how that's how you catch up and bridge this gap because you're never going to be able to recruit like that group. Good good job with the injury. Good luck with the injuries that year. Good bounces both with the schedule and with literal the few plays that usually change a lot of big college football games. They need to go your way. Surprises on your lineup. And you need a coach who knows how to properly motivate its guys to get the most out of them at the most critical time of the year. That's how you bridge that gap. Can we do it? I don't know. But that's how you bridge a gap. If that's going to be your question, those are my answers. Okay, so I that went a lot longer than I thought it would. I just started going down a path, and there it is. Let's get into the main topic du jour that I wanted to focus on and just run some numbers by you guys. And I think in one instance, it's not as bad. And in one instance, it is as bad as the numbers look. Okay. And so what I wanted to look at was I wanted to look at actual production coming back and lost from last year's Notre Dame team and compare that to the other teams we play. Just out of curiosity, you start thinking about everybody we lost on our roster on both sides of the ball, and it's a very interesting question and a scary question to ask how much production's coming back. A couple months ago, I'm not going to take credit for crunching these numbers. Um, One Foot Down had an article about exactly this topic, returning production. Overall, Notre Dame ranks 97th out of 130 teams in terms of how much production's coming back. So in this regard, in this measurement, the lower the number, the better it is. Like if you are number one in the country, that means almost all your talent's coming back. If you're 130, that's the worst. So we fall 
97 out of 130. The offense returns 56% of production, 86 in the country. The defense, 55%, which is 95th in the country. This is not ideal to lose that much production, okay? So then the next question you're going to ask it, think about think about 56, 55, that's damn near half of your production on each side of the ball. That's a lot, folks. Think of wiping off half the tackles, half the sacks, half the receptions. It's a lot of production we're losing. It's a big deal. So then you ask yourself, well, where does that compare to the competition for our schedule this upcoming year? Virginia Tech is the lowest at 11. So they're returning a lot of talent. Although here's the thing with Virginia Tech. Half their team, I felt like, went into the transfer portal. So I don't know how many of those kids are the kids that are leaving or not, but they had a mass exodus into that transfer portal. So I don't know how much of that is I can count on. Louisville, 24. Virginia, 55. Michigan, 68. Georgia, 69. Southern Cal, 79. Bowling Green, 98. Duke, 106. Stanford, 108. BC, 110. New Mexico, 115. Navy, 126. And we fall at 97, so almost almost dead in the middle of, of that group. In case you are wondering, the top 10 teams with the most production coming back in the country are Western Michigan, Tennessee, Texas State, Southern Miss, Rice, FIU, Memphis, Kent State, Hawaii, Minnesota. So... And the highest one, Western Michigan's bringing back 85%. So that's the highest percentage bringing back in the country. 85% to our 55. That's, that's a lot. Just to give you an idea, that's a lot of talent gone. And so, you know, some of this is obvious and unavoidable. Like, you don't, you're probably not going to see Alabama on most returning kids list. Because those guys are going, so many of them are going pro. So some of this makes sense when you look at none of the big, good at football schools are in that top 10 of bringing talent back. Because a lot, too many of their guys are going pro early that they're not going to be on that list. So I totally understand that. I totally get that. I just think overall, I wanted to take a realistic look as Notre Dame fans about just how much production we're losing, how I think we could gain some of it back. And so the first thing is offensively. Offensively, obviously you lost Dexter Williams and Boykin. So your go-to running back, your only home run hitter on the entire team, and your go-to possession big-bodied wide receiver. Okay? So you look at the 50-something percent that is coming back. It's got to be Ian Book production pretty much, right? A couple Chris Fink catches. I mean, so it's pretty much going to be on Ian Book as the returning production. However, we already went over last week. I think this offense has a chance to be really, really good if it's run pop properly. I think they have a chance to put up a ton of points, ton of yards, and a t just it could be so electric, but they got to use these guys right. So you could refill this production, backfill this production, and maybe even get a little more out of certain guys if you put these young, fast receivers in position to make plays, 
Lawrence Keys, Braden Lindsay, Austin, Young. Those are the kind of guys I'm talking about. On top of Fink, on top of Claypool. We need, and then the tight ends. Okay, so if they play this out right, I think a lot of that production. Now, here's what I the thing I do think. You might get the same amount of production total, but it might be divided among four or five players instead of it just all being Dexter Williams on 130 yards rushing, three touchdowns or whatever. You could have production divided out. I'm fine with that as long as it's productive. I don't care if three of these receivers balance each other out and they each have five catches and, and three touchdowns between them. That's fine. I don't care how many guys it has to be. I want the, I just need the overall production to be enough to win 11 or 12 games. That's what I need. And so I think you can you can get that. Um, you know, the one thing I've been struggling, I, I was I was reading about like a Notre Dame preview and and they were talking about how Notre Dame's run game numbers, if you looked at them, really weren't that impressive last year. And you ended up with a ton of runs for like negative yards or one or two yards. But what saved it is Dexter busting a 98 yarder or a 50 yarder and it skews the average and it looks more productive than it is on a snap to snap basis. And so you look at that and it's one of those things where you you almost want to start looking at the line that at times struggled to establish a good, a stable running game. I look at some unknowns and not a lot of depth you could count on at the running back position at this moment. And I look at the possible upside of wide receiver and all that makes you kind of think you either need to be better at running the ball or run the ball less and use those guys more. Because the numbers are showing you're running into a wall getting one or no or two yards or negative yards way at a higher rate than you ever should. And you don't have Dexter Williams to bail you out this year. Oh, John, I thought you always wanted to run the damn ball. Yeah, I do. Only if you can do it. If we don't have the the offensive line in the backs to do it, I might have to dump that for a year and take what's going to win us 11 or 12 games. And to me, that could be quick hitting passes over the middle to all these fast receivers I just named. And then hitting a tight end down the seam. Doing a delayed handoff and sneaking up on people once in a while. But with Ian Book's accuracy, some of these throws can be almost an extension of the running game out in the flat or some of these shorter patterns. It's just something to think about. I would prefer a power running game, yeah, 100% all the time. But if you can't do that, what are you trying to prove by running into a wall and wasting downs by gaining no yards? Just to say you, you put up that many number of attempts? When you have one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the country, that seems like wasted downs to me, if that's your situation. If we could still run it for 170 yards a game, fine, go ahead and do it. Everything else then with the passing game is gravy. I just don't know that we're going to be able to do it. I don't know if I trust the offensive line to be able to do it and, and these running backs. Got to see it. But I think there's a good chance that with the development of Ian Book further, with better recognition and everything we talked about last week, 
and his natural proclivity to throwing accurate passes, or proclivity rather, to throw accurate passes, I think that you you can use these little fleas, I like to say, guys, crisscross and run it all over fast, use them. I just hope they're not afraid to use Ian Book's strengths to help this team out. And if that's short pass accuracy and you need to use that, use it. It's better than running into a brick wall like against Pitt for no yards and minus one yard the whole game. The problem with this discussion and the scary part of this discussion is while I can name a couple different paths offensively to help make up that loss in production percentage, I don't see that on the defensive side of the ball. It might be there. I'm just saying I haven't seen it yet, so I can't count on it. I'm not saying it's not going to be there or at least going to be close to there and serviceable. I'm just saying I haven't seen it, and I don't know the names to tell you of where the production is going to come from like I do on the offensive side of the ball, naming all these receivers. I can't name you five linebackers that I trust to be the leader physically and emotionally on that defense and make up all the production from Coney and Tranquil. And not to mention, it isn't just that. It's the leadership. I can't measure that. That's the big thing here. I can't measure the leadership that came from those guys. You know what else I can't measure? I have a fetish with linebackers. I admitted it last week. It's a romantic position to me. And you can't replace the the intuitiveness of those players, the natural inclination to know where to be and and how to how to feel where the ball is going to be and make yourself be there. Uh, those are all innate, immeasurable qualities that I just don't know that I could count on this year. And I can't even measure how many plays that's worth. Those weren't That stuff wasn't counted in these percentages, and we're losing that too on top of the physical stuff. That's what has me nervous. Yes, we have tremendous defensive end depth. Any offensive, good offensive staff in the country is going to scheme away from that and try and attack Notre Dame's middle. Right up the gut where you're replacing Jerry and where those young linebackers have to try and figure out where to be and who's going to be there and when. And so that's the hard part is I, I don't clearly see where we're going to make up this production defensively like I could see a path for us to offensively. I just don't see it. It might be there. But until it is and I see it against a team like Georgia, I can't count on it. No, I didn't mention seeing it against Louisville. No, I didn't mention seeing it against New Mexico. Don't care. You have to have a higher bar than that. I expect you to physically dominate those teams just based on pure talent alone. I need to see this stuff happen against the best. Because just like Ric Flair always said, to be the best, woo, you got to beat the best. And it's true. It was true when Rick said it, and it's true now. So I, I, I just think it's important that we just look at these numbers and understand just how much production is lost. It's almost half on both sides of the ball, plus those were a lot of your leaders. So there's a lot of work to be done here. Uh, and that's why I'm saying that Georgia game is going to tell you if we're reloading or rebuilding. 
and replacing all this production statistically and emotionally in the locker room as leaders, that's that's everything. That's going to dictate how many games we win this year. And whether it's a back down to nine and three rebuild type thing, or if we've we've all done enough here to where we could keep this baby rolling at double digits and more. That's the big question this year, right? And and so I'm not saying the defense is going to be terrible. I just can't re- I can't tr- based on what's coming back. I can't trust them to be great. Okay, and so I don't think they're going to be terrible. But I, I'm expecting a downgrade in production from last year. I just am. I just feel like they've lost too much talent and leadership to not regress. How much that matters. In a reload year, how much can you minimize that regression if there is going to be some? Now, while I always prefer a strong running game and a great defense over anything else, It's scary for me to say as a Notre Dame fan, this might be a year where the offense has to lead the team and the offense needs to be more like a modern team and put up closer to 42 points a game. Make up the slack for a defense that has a bunch of young players at linebacker. Just score another 10 points a game. You just gave those guys a safety net with which they can learn under and still win. So that's the other thing too. These things move together. Right? One can pick up the slack for the other. Ideally, you wouldn't need that if you had balanced high-end recruiting. That doesn't always happen for Notre Dame. We all know the reasons why. So you may be in a situation this year where that offense needs to score another 10 points a game to, to build a safety net for a defense that's reloading and has a bunch of young kids. They may end up being good. I just don't know it and can't trust it till I see it. And again, I'm not mentioning Louisville, New Mexico. You need to, I need to see it on the big stage. I, I'm not impressed by you beating up high school kids. I'm not impressed with you beating a team ran by Bob Davey. No, that's not even real life. Do it against somebody with a pulse on the national scale. Then I'm interested. And, and so if I had to guess how this would go... That would be my guess. The offense is going to need to score about 10 more points a game on average to make up for some of the statistical regression I expect from the defense. I still think the defense is going to be decent. I just don't know if they're going to be great or above average like they were last year. I don't know if I see that from this defense, at least now. Maybe I will after a month of the season. But now with all the question marks, I can't say that I see that. While the offense, I think, has all the talent in the world to be a top 10 offense in terms of production. If Chip meant what he says and Brian Kelly lets him do what he says, that's the big part of this. Them saying they want all this excitement on offense is one thing. I have to see it to believe it. Not against Louisville, not against New Mexico against Georgia, okay? So a lot of things got to happen here. A lot of things got to fall in place. A lot of things got to be what they're supposed to be. And some things got to be better than what we think they're going to be for us to get where we need to be. 
So it's just going to be so interesting, that Georgia game. It's just going to be such an arrow indicator. And then you're just you're going to find out exactly how much of this is a rebuild and not a reload. And it's just going to be a great gauge of where the program is, depending on the answers you get from that ball game. God, I can get goosebumps now just thinking about that. September night, SEC game of the week. Notre Dame's down there. Everybody hates us. Uh, it could set up to be magical, but only if you show up. And if you don't, it could be Alabama and Clemson again. And we just can't afford any more of those. You just can't. You've already used the Brian Kelly's beyond used up all his big game embarrassments. Can't have it anymore. Go down there and find a way. Okay, now it is time for another segment of Always Annoyed. Now, I have to say, I was actually pretty encouraged by the reception this segment got from last week's episode. A lot of people commented on uh, Twitter and commented on YouTube that they really liked that segment and they wanted more of it, which is great. If I could come up with enough material... I'll have a a sister podcast called Always Annoyed if I can come up with enough material that isn't football related. But people seem to like it. So here's mine this week. I don't understand when you're driving and you pull up to a red light and there's a vehicle in front of you and you pull up and you see a big baby on board uh, decal or sticker, or laminate, or whatever it is. And so you pull behind this minivan, or this SUV, or whatever, and and you see baby on board. And I, I sit there and I ask, what is the purpose of that? What What is your point exactly? I, I, I'm genuinely asking, Whenever I'm in that situation, I'm sitting there waiting for the light to turn. I see baby on board. I ask myself, what the hell is the point of that logo, that that sign? Because I can't figure out a logical answer. Can you? Honestly, you tell me. Maybe some of you have a baby on board sticker. Tell me, what is the point of that? is because here's the problem I have. If the point of you putting a baby on board sticker in your back windshield is to somehow make me change the way I'm driving because a stranger in front of me scored and reproduced and it's a total stranger that you ex- is it is the point of this that you expect me to say, oh my God, this strange, this 400 pound white trash soccer mom in front of me with eight kids in the back scored and had a kid. I better drive better. Keep dreaming. You are so self-absorbed and arrogant. If you're doing, if that's the point behind this, this baby on board is so that I change how I, a total stranger, just trying to get from point A to point B. I'm supposed to change how I drive because you scored and reproduced? Words can't describe how self-absorbed that is. Did it ever occur to you that I drive perfectly safely already because I don't want to die myself? 
It's not like I was driving recklessly and then I see that a stranger had a kid and then I'm gonna start driving all safe. So somebody's gotta tell me it's always bothered me. It's always annoyed me. I, it offends me that you think I'm a shitty driver but that because you had a kid, now I'm gonna, I have to start changing the way I drive because a stranger reproduced and happens to be in front of me at a light? You, that's what these people think? I can't tell you how self-absorbed and arrogant that is. I don't know you. I don't know your kids. I don't care about you. I'm not going to be mean to you, but I'm not going to be nice to you. I don't know you. You're just a stranger. You're just driving. And I'm just driving. But the idea that because a stranger reproduced, I'm going to change how I drive is insulting. It's like, it's like you figured what? I was driving blindfolded going 80 miles an hour before, like with no regard for other people's safety or my own. But you telling me you had a kid is going to change all that. Now I'm going to start driving real worried and careful. You're out of your mind. Get over yourself. I don't care that you reproduce. Nobody does. And so I'm honestly asking, if there is another reason, tell me, what am I missing here? But the only possible thing that comes to my mind when I see one of those signs is, they're saying that so that other people will drive more carefully because of their precious cargo. And I don't get that. I drive safely anyway. So it offends me that, that you're insinuating I don't. And I should alter my, my driving behavior because you scored. I don't care. So get over yourself. Same thing goes, I'm gonna lump this in. Same thing goes for your stick family. Nobody cares. What is the point of a stick family on the back of your window? To let strangers know how many times you scored or reproduced and that you have a dog? Who in the hell cares? Why do you want so many strangers to know how many times you, had, you reproduced? That's another one I've never understood. What, what do you want me to do? Applaud? for however many stick kids you have and your dog. Nobody cares. Get over yourself. An extension of this while we're going down this path took me till about two months ago to realize why people have random numbers with dots on their car. I never knew what that was. What is the one for the people who run a lot of mile? 13.6, there's some number that's a dot that's like a popular 5K, I don't understand running. I ain't trying to be the best at exercise. I ran, when I was a kid, I ran to a base. I ran down a field. I ran down the court to shoot a hoop. I didn't just run to run in short shorts. That's, that's being the best at exercise. No interest in doing that. I played sports. So I don't understand this 13.6, 5.2 on your bumper. Again, why do I, why do you feel like you have to show off 
that you wore short shorts and just ran really far for really long and you think the people behind you need to know about it. I swear to God, for years, I had no idea what that was. I'm like, what is these numbers on this person's car for? I couldn't figure it out. And then somebody who's a runner told me, oh, that's all the marathons they ran. And then I, I had a reason to not like those people. I don't put on the back of my car my golf scores. That's what I'm going to do. Every time, if I, oh, 72, John shot even par, 72. I'm going to paint it on the back of my car. So everybody sees that my hobby I'm good at. Are you seeing a trend here? I have a problem with people who are self-absorbed and want to show off in front of everybody else over dumb things that nobody cares about. Think about it. That Those numbers are showing off that you exercised and that you're decent at your hobby. Well, I don't put every golf score I ever have on there. Because I know that nobody cares about my life. Half the people that know me probably don't care about my life, let alone strangers that are driving. What do you want me to do? Drive by you and throw you a Gatorade and a towel and start clapping? Because you did exercise and you painted it on the back of your car? You got a decal to put on the back of your car that indicates you exercised. Think of how crazy that is and how self-absorbed that is. That's the problem I have. All of these things are just look at me, look at me, give me attention. There's too much of that in the world. Okay, well that was a lively, always annoyed segment, but I'm sorry, I've been thinking about this for a dozen years of how annoying all these things are. And this is the perfect outlet for it. So I'm glad that people like the segment. <clears throat> Maybe some of you could give me reasons of why I'm wrong or try and tell me if there's another reason for the baby on board thing. I don't know what it is. I, I do, other than wanting me to change how I drive so your kid's safer, which is just offensive to me. Screw you. So somebody tell me if I'm missing another reason you would do it other than to let people know how awesome you are that you had sex and reproduced and then that strangers need to change our behavior because of it. Tell me if I'm missing something, but I don't think I am. That being said, that's going to be the show this week. We will have, you know what we might do? Depending on how the recruiting stuff turns out, we may or may not have a show. And I may or may not be in a good mood. We'll just have to see. Later. <laughs>